If you have your Bibles, open to the book of Acts. We're going to do a little bit of a, a survey through the book of Acts on some things today. Uh, of course, I just want to remind you that Jesus instructed us to seek what? Seek first the what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. And this is what we've been talking about, the rule and the reign of God. It has been established, and we are to go and to call people into submission, to submit to Christ as king. And where people submit to Christ as king in faith and obedience, there the kingdom of God manifests. There we see God's kingdom taking root and taking heart. And so I want to talk to us this morning about what happens when we go out preaching. When we go out preaching the kingdom of God, as we're going to leave here this week, we're going, to, we're going to go out from this place, we're going back to our fields, we're going back to where we came from, what can we expect? What are the results of preaching repentance, preaching faith, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, preaching Christ as king? Well, what can we expect? What can we look forward to? What can we anticipate? What are the results? And so the first one this morning, and we are going to move quickly, number one, you can expect conflict. Say amen, thank you, Jesus. Amen. You can expect conflict. When you go out and begin preaching to the world that is in darkness and you begin taking the light, the first thing that you will always experience is conflict. We see this in the book of Acts. We see that this is what happened. The first conflicts that start are internal there's internal conflicts within the Christian community. Ananias and Sapphira, they decide, you know what, we can game the system. We, we can move ahead a few steps. We, we, can, we can have people thinking we're something that we're not by lying to the Holy Spirit. Wow. We can gain ourselves a title, gain ourselves position in this place. And so the first conflicts that, that arise in the kingdom as it goes forth are internal. Ananias and Sapphira. They're part of the church. Now, I know it's hard for us to believe that somebody might give an offering, uh, hoping at, at some point to purchase something for themselves. I know that's shocking for all the ministers here. But it happened in the first church. It didn't go well for them. Conflict, internal conflict. The next thing, in Acts chapter 6, we see more internal conflict. These widows that are neglected in the, the distribution of food, in the, in the food ministry that wasn't there a week ago, but now they're upset that it's not working properly. There's, there's already an expectation that, hey, you guys are already failing. You ever try and do something good for the Lord and you just get a bunch of criticism because it wasn't perfect? Internal conflict. They're trying to feed these people. And it wasn't perfect. Guess what? It's not going to be perfect. Internal conflict arises. You're neglecting us because of our nationality. You're neglecting us because of our race. Now there's accusations of prejudice and even, even racism. Conflict. What about after Cornelius was saved? Peter goes visits a Gentile, goes into his home. When he comes back, the, the, the brothers aren't too happy. In chapter 11, they had a fun name for themselves. They tried to disguise their, uh, their sour attitude by calling themselves a fun name. They were called the circumcision party. 
So they, they tried to, you know, say, we're fun. We, we like to party. But in verse 2 of chapter 11, when Peter went up to Jerusalem, after, after seeing the, the Holy Spirit poured out, salvation come to a Gentile man. He comes back to the church, and there's some people that say, what are you doing, Peter? So when Peter went to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him. I know nobody here has ever received criticism from, criticism from within the church, from within the leadership of the church. Criticized him saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Internal conflict. What about Acts chapter 15? Now there's debate over who can even be saved. This, this, this thing that the, after, after Paul and Barnabas go and evangelize this region, here come the circumcision party. I don't know if they have balloons or, you know, streamers or, you know, the, 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 here comes the party. And they begin teaching these brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. This is not a secondary issue for them. And they're making this a salvation issue. Many of you fought the salvation issues in the past. We were talking last night at dinner about the, the battles over the primary issues of salvation, the, 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 the issue of even a three-step salvation or, or water baptism salvation, or you gotta, you got to have the infilling of the Holy Spirit or you're not saved salvation. The, the, the people have fought those battles in the past. Well, here is circumcision salvation. That's a little more messy than water baptism. Acts chapter 15, the, 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 the conflict continues. Now Paul and Barnabas, who have been tied at the hip, now they can't agree. There's conflict, internal conflict. We can expect when we do kingdom work that there will be internal conflict. It's just part of the, it's part of the ministry. If you're experiencing conflict, it doesn't mean that you're doing anything wrong. Sometimes we feel like that. And I talked to our missionaries about this at lunch the other day. Sometimes we feel that when things are not going well, when there's conflict, when there's, there's issues, there's hardship, we start to think, what am I doing wrong? It's just ministry in a fallen and broken world. But it's not just external conflict there's, or internal conflict. Then the, the conflict is now external. It's coming from the outside. We first uh, begin to see this with, with Paul persecuting the church. This, this persecution that arises after Stephen is stoned, Paul persecuting the church, this, this Jewish persecution that arises. Later, in Acts chapter 12, James is killed by King Herod. This violent opposition, Peter is put in prison. And the book of Acts ends with Paul in prison. Now, there's Roman opposition. You haven't just ticked off the Jews in Jerusalem. You've ticked off the Roman Empire. The book of Acts ends with Paul in Rome under lock and key. This conflict that we can expect, but it shouldn't be a surprise to us. What did Jesus say? In the world, you'll have tribulation, right? What else did he say? Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, but the violent take it by force. Listen, number one, the first thing we can expect is when we try to expand the kingdom of God, when we preach repentance and faith in Christ as king, there's going to be conflict. 
Get ready for it. But the second thing that we can expect, the second thing is that we can expect victory. We can expect victory. Yes, there will be battles. Yes, there will be fights. Yes, there will be conflict. Yes, there will be hardship. Yes, there will be persecution. But there's always victory in Jesus. Amen. He, he leads us forward always in triumphal procession. Not in retreat. Not in failure. Not in loss. Not in defeat. There's victory in Jesus. In every single one of the conflicts that I have mentioned, at the end of every single one, the kingdom of God expanded, moved forward. Let's look at them again quickly. Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter 5. Look at what happened after they died during church. The ushers had to go out and bury them. I think that's when they first started having cemeteries on the side of the church. Acts chapter 5, verse 11, and great fear came upon the whole church. See, up until that point, there's some people just kind of in and out, you know, loosey-goosey. Let me tell you, when people start cheating on their ties and start dropping dead, man, I think people start paying attention. Great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. The fear of God gripped their souls. The gospel advanced. The kingdom advanced. Yes, there was conflict, but there was victory. Well, what, what about the neglected widows? Well, we know the deacons were appointed. But look at what it says at the end of that episode, after they appoint the deacons. Acts chapter 6, verse 11. No, Acts chapter 6, verse 7. Acts chapter 6, verse 7. And the whole, and the word of God continued to increase. So yes, there was conflict. Yes, there was strife. Yes, there was some problems inside the church. They addressed them. They appointed deacons who, who took on that ministry. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And it's at this point that a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Yes, there was conflict. But yes, there was victory. Well, what about after Cornelius and, and the, the circumcision party called Peter to account? Well, after he gives the account of what happened, in Acts chapter 11, verse 18, it says, when they heard these things, they fell silent. Their mouths were stopped. The, the criticism stopped. And they glorified God, saying, then salvation has come to the Gentiles and God has granted them repentance that leads to life. Yes, there was conflict, but the kingdom expanded. There was victory in every single one. What about Paul and Barnabas separating? What about them not being able to agree? Well, you know, I, I want John Mark. No, he can't come. He, he, he deserted us before. So they split. There's division. But what sometimes is division to man is multiplication to God. Because there was only one team before going out and evangelizing and planting new churches. But now guess what? There's two. There's two. The, the kingdom advanced through the conflict. What about the external conflict? James being killed. Peter being imprisoned. Well, later on in Acts chapter 12, King Herod is 
receiving glory and praise that should only be to God. And in verse 23, as, as he's receiving the praise of men that's due to God, verse 23 of Acts chapter 12 tells us that immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give glory to God and was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Verse 24, but the word of God increased and multiplied. Yes, there's conflict, but in every single conflict in the book of Acts, there is victory. The book of Acts is the story of the kingdom of God expanding, not retreating. Of the church moving forward in power, not retreating, not in, not in defeat. That They did receive power and they did go out and do what Jesus told them to do. They were witnesses. They were not afraid. They did say we must obey God rather than men. What about the Jewish persecution that arose? Well, we know what happened to Paul. It didn't work out so well for him. I mean, it did work out pretty well for him. But he didn't stay a persecutor of the church. He became the apostle to the Gentiles. Paul converted. The, the, the Jews that went out that were scattered from Jerusalem, where did they go? They went to Samaria and started a revival. Revival breaks out. Philip goes there. The Jews that go out, they go out further. They go to Antioch. Revival breaks out in Antioch. Barnabas goes there. And he finds now Paul, and they disciple a great many believers, and it's there in Antioch. Antioch, the church that was planted because persecution arose, that they were first called Christians. What about the Roman opposition that, that was trying to, 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 that had Paul arrested? Well, if you go all the way to the end of the book of Acts, the book of Acts closes It's, it's, it's incredible. If, 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 <laughs> if you look at Acts chapter 1, it says Jesus was with them and began to teach them. And he was with them for 40 days and he spoke to them about what? The kingdom of God. And he says, you're going to be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And as you track the book of Acts, they start in Jerusalem, then they're in Judea, then they're in Samaria. And you get to the, the very end, Acts chapter 28. Paul is in Rome, in the belly of the beast. In verse 30, at the very end, it says, And he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God. And teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. He writes to Timothy, I may be bound in chains, but the word of God is not bound. Yes, there's conflict, but there's also victory. When he writes to the Philippians, he says, those of Caesar's household greet you. That through his ministry in chains in Rome... That even some of Caesar's own household and family have come to faith in Christ. Even, even some of Caesar's own household no longer call Caesar Lord, but proclaim that Jesus is Lord. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We can expect victory because Christ is building his church and Christ is advancing his kingdom and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The reason it seems like the gates of hell are prevailing at times is because the Christians are not advancing against them the way that they ought to. 
Gates are a defensive mechanism, which means that hell should be on the retreat, that we need to be taking the gospel into the culture. And the gates of hell will not prevail because Christ is building his church. Yes, there will be conflict and persecution, but we are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And as Brother Wayne said, it is not by power or by might, but by God's Spirit. So because of that, not because of us, but because of that, we can expect victory because the tomb is empty and heaven's throne is occupied. We can expect victory in the conflict. Number three, we can expect, expect multiplication. Multiplication. Exponential multiplication over time. Multiplication over time. Not overnight, but multiplication over time. Look at what Jesus said, speaking about the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 13, verse 31. He put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make their nest in its branches. Yes, the kingdom of God starts small. Many of you missionaries are pioneer missionaries. You're going to towns, you're going to places that have never heard the gospel before. And you're sowing seeds. And the thing about the seeds is they don't sprout up overnight. But you look at every single one of those oak trees and they started from one little tiny acorn over time. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like that. There will be kingdom fruit that we will not see, that will not even manifest, I believe, for hundreds of years until the future. But we are planting those seeds now. We can expect multiplication from our work and from our effort. He told them another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leaven. That the kingdom of God is going to cover the earth. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. It starts small, but it ends big. So we can expect multiplication over time. We're so impatient, aren't we? We live in the microwave generation. We live in the have it your way generation. We live in the it's been five minutes. Where's my fajitas generation? That's not the way the kingdom of God works. Jason talked to us that the way the kingdom works is upside down from the way we think it should work. We, 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 We cannot fall into the trap of expecting to see immediate fruit, immediate results, immediate, immediate, immediate. Sometimes it's multiplication over time. After a season in ministry in Antioch, Paul and Barnabas are then sent out as missionaries to proclaim the gospel. But missionaries did not go out immediately. It took time. It took time. It took time for Nathan and Kim in San Luis Potosi, Mexico to be again sending out missionaries. It didn't didn't happen in the first five years, in the first ten years. It took time of planting that church. But eventually, if the seed has been planted and the seed has taken root and Christ has been formed in those believers, there will be gospel multiplication. The churches will multiply. People will be sent out. Pastors will be sent out. Church planters will be sent out. Missionaries will be sent out to start sowing new seed. 
we can expect and look forward to seeing multiplication of the kingdom of God over time. And the fourth, final, that I'm ending with tonight, this morning, is we can expect to see God's blessing wherever the kingdom of God goes. This is flourishing. This is thriving. This is that true joy of the Holy Ghost. Listen, the world is a mess. Can we agree the world is just a mess? But where the kingdom goes, lives are changed. Lives are transformed. Families are changed. Families are transformed. There's a, 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 a substantive transformation from darkness to light. The flourishing, the, the blessing of God. Three parts of the blessing of God that we can expect to see where the kingdom goes. We can expect to see true righteousness wherever the king rules and reigns. True righteousness. You see, our righteousness we know is as filthy rags. But those who are part of the kingdom of God are clothed in a righteousness that is foreign, is alien to us, is not our righteousness, but we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, clothed in his righteousness, true righteousness, a righteousness that is not our own and a righteousness that we don't attain by good works, but a righteousness that is of Christ and of his work. And his work on the cross that is given to us by grace and received by faith, that righteousness that we wear, that has been imputed to us, it begins to produce in us a true righteousness. It truly does change who we are and produce in us righteous hearts who love God's law and love his commandments and are obedient to him so that we might say like the apostle John, his commandments are not burdensome. We love his word. We love his commandments. We love him. Produces in us a true righteousness, not a works-based righteousness, but one that is worked in us by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Secondly, it produces this blessing that goes where the kingdom goes, true justice. True justice. Now, this is similar to righteousness, but justice is an adherence to what is truly righteous. And when the kingdom advances and people willfully submit to the reign of Christ in faith and obedience to his word, what follows, what flows is true justice where evil is punished and good is rewarded. Listen, we, we live in a world that has perverted justice, that has turned things upside down, that has taken the word justice and taken it to mean things that it doesn't. So, so for example, the, the, the world will talk of we need reproductive justice. And I hear that, and I say yes and amen, we do. We need justice for the unborn. We need justice for the baby in the womb. We need justice for, for, for the, the weakest of society, the, the, the most, the, the most uh, marginalized, the, 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 those who cannot defend themselves and have no voice. We need true justice. But the world takes that and says reproductive justice is a mother murdering her own child. Now that's a perversion of justice. But where the kingdom goes, 
where Christ goes as king and people willfully submit to him, evil is restrained and punished and good is rewarded. We see this in Matthew chapter 12, verse 18 to 21, speaking of Jesus and quoting the, the prophet Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah says this about Jesus in Matthew chapter 12. He says, Behold my servant who have, whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will, he, will, will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not quench. quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. Where the king reigns, justice flows. Now, I will say this. On this side of, on this side of heaven, we will not see perfect justice. Perfect justice will come when Jesus returns. But we can see real justice. We can see true justice. We can see justice that reflects the word and the law of God and not the whims of the evil hearts of men. We wait for the final day when Jesus will come and restore everything finally and fully. But we can believe and hope and pray and seek for the kingdom to be established now with true justice. Not full justice, but true justice. And I believe that we can see the righteousness of God and the, the justice of God in individual lives. But also I believe you can see the kingdom manifest in families that submit to the lordship of Christ. I believe you can see it in nations that would even submit to the lordship of Christ. Proverbs 14.34 says that righteousness exalts a nation, but that sin is a reproach to any people. Psalm 33, 12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. This justice, this righteousness that flows from making Jesus king and submitting to his lordship in obedience and faith, the blessing that comes is true righteousness, is true justice. Individuals, families, hopefully in churches, and even nations that will make God their king. And finally, I believe a blessing we can expect in the kingdom of God is a multi-generational blessing. A blessing that never stops with one generation, but it's always being handed on. It's always being passed on. It's going from one generation to the next, whether that's physically like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or whether that's spiritually like Paul and Timothy, but there's always another generation being raised up in the faith. It is a multi-generational blessing. It says this in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, to a thousand generations. To a thousand generations. Because we serve the faithful God who is God. 
And so we must, as we go out, we must go preaching and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, repentance and faith to Christ as king, not the gospel light, not the gospel watered down, not, not the, 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 a bunch of me and a little bit of the gospel shoved in at the end. No, we must go preaching the true gospel, which is there's some bad news before we get to the good news, repentance and faith. And that's the gospel that John the Baptist preached. And revival broke out in Judea. That's the gospel that Peter preached and 3,000 souls were saved on the day of Pentecost. That's the gospel that Jesus preached and God validated his message by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand. And that's the gospel that you and I likewise are called to preach and commissioned to preach. And if we do and we go out preaching this message, we will see opposition, but we will also see victory and we will see multiplication, and we will see blessing and multi-generational blessing because God is the faithful God who keeps his covenant to 1,000 generations. If you agree, say amen.